Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. The Hitting the Turnbuckle Podcast. First come back. Give me a hell yeah. Hello and welcome to the Hitting the Turnbuckle Podcast with me, your host, the problem child, Dave Robinson. Joined once again with my good friend and AEW fan, Parker Hamlet. Parker, how you doing, man? Doing swell. You sound a little somber. Is uh Some, no, post, okay. is, is, is the post Phil Brooks era uh <laughs> resonating well with you? My recovery's been a little bit uh rough, but uh I'm 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 having better days. Well let's start with that. Like now that you've had a few days to process it, um, what are your thoughts on it? Are they much the same as they were at the weekend or have they changed at all? What what are your thoughts on the CM Punk situation? We might as well get it out of the way now. Well, it's messy because, I mean, we really don't know what Punk is going to say in return to all of this. And yeah. I, we're obviously still very early in the saga. But with all that being said, we are here to talk about AEW Dynamite. And but it, it, to briefly touch on the Punk stuff, we're hearing a lot of stuff about him wanting to come to WWE. There were some rumored things about him wanting to work a program with uh, who was it, Kevin Owens, uh, upon his return to WWE, if he were to return to WWE hypothetically. There's now reporting that he had a conversation with Triple H. And so th- there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with the CM Punk stuff, and I don't ever think we'll truly get the real story. But I was intrigued going into this Dynamite, mainly because I wanted to see what this post-Punk era does look like. Obviously, Dynamite was its own thing, and it's an, its own entity outside of Punk, because obviously we know Collision was kind of correlated with CM. But... You know, nonetheless, with all all the stuff going on behind the scenes, I was very interested to check out this episode of Dynamite. But I feel a lot better. I mean, I think there is a landscape here where Punk does get to work. I just don't think it's going to be for anybody other than WWE. New Japan now reportedly uh, not working with him, or it's rumored that they don't want to work with him because of their working relationship with WWE. I mean, excuse me, with AEW. You know, Punk's not going to go to an NWA either. So I think it's just a matter of time when he pops up on our screen. And like me and Adam talked about, you know, Oddly enough, when the other Adam shows up in AEW, that's certainly going to fill a, a huge void that CM Punk did leave. And, you know, there was also the uh, the report that, what, 89,000 viewers checked out of Collision, I think, once uh, Tony Khan announced him firing Phil live on air. So, I mean, you know, people can kind of scoff and laugh at that stuff, but we'll see how it adds up over time. I think, I, pers- personally, just to kind of put a cherry on it, I think the best comment i've read about the situation up to this point was from mark henry who was just kind of like yeah the distraction's gone so there should be no other issues and you know it'll be interesting to see how you know what happens in the aftermath of this entire thing but yeah i feel a lot better since last time i talked about it i mean you don't want to hear about one of your favorites losing their job or you know not being able to be on your tv anymore but at the end of the day you know like max said at that post media scrum or even Rollins said in his interview he did well on uh, after the bell, there's never been more options for, for these workers and he'll, he'll pop up somewhere down the line. I was just grateful for the run that he did have never thought I'd see it. So. Yeah. Uh, and so there are more options outside of WWE. There's an impact that he turned up backstage. I'm not sure if that would be his first choice, but perhaps an option if he would, if he doesn't get back in with WWE, uh, it's interesting, you know, there's certainly been fallouts in the past with big stars and 
and guys you think would never appear again for the WWE, you know, Ultimate Warrior being one, but he went back, he was in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of CM Punk. But uh, on to this week's episode, and it was in Indiana, Indianapolis, or Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, it's a place that I've, uh, that's always been linked to wrestling. There's always been a lot of wrestling shows there, Parker. Is that a place where, where you've been, or, you know, is that a big wrestling town as far as you know? I mean, I know historically they've had a lot of big events there. No, uh, I'm not quite familiar with whether it be any like big four pay per views or yeah. I mean, I, I just know it's a part of the the, the cycle for most promotions like WWE, uh, yeah. AEW. I and know a lot WCW of these bigger used to go there a lot as well. They used to have a lot of shows in in Indy. So uh, I was just wondering if uh, you had much knowledge of it because it's so it's a it's town. a it's a big sports town in general. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's a his, it's a historic city in that sense. But yeah, I know AEW's been through there quite some quite a few times now. And uh, you know, yeah. Tony Khan is with wanting to build that rapport with all these cities. They're kind of going through the first time they went through their first Canadian tour earlier this year so i think it's all just about building that familiarity with each area but yeah i mean indy it is a sports town at heart yeah and you saw that with the crowd that turned up it was a pretty pretty packed out crowd uh a pretty great good show to be honest with you i thought this was one of the better dynamites that we've seen in recent months and it started off with orange cassidy which it it had to really uh after his historic reign uh, where he was featured in the, the first match of Dynamite on so many occasions, defending his international title. It totally made sense for me to uh, for him to appear first uh, and basically said that he'll be appearing week in, week out, with or without the title. Um, and then Moxley made his entrance for his match with AR Fox, and there was a bit of a stare down. Uh, Park, do you think that um, that suggests there would be a return match with Mox and Orange Cassidy? You know, a lot like the Chad Gable and Gunther situation, I think there's a lot of unfinished business here. Yeah. Understandably so. Orange Cassidy's been in the business for, what, 10, 15 years now? He's kind of talked about having to find footing with his character, and you could see he's kind of starting to have that organic, you know, get-overness with the crowd, and you love to see it. He's actually getting over a catchphrase of him not having a catchphrase, which is pretty funny. And uh, you talk about the Workers' Championship, and that's basically – what the international championships become. So, I mean, seeing you go on the waist of a guy or the shoulder of a guy like John Moxley is never going to be a bad thing. But ultimately, I still feel like that could have been a crowning moment for a guy like Orange Cassidy. But, yeah. you know, classical booking standpoint, you look at it from the perspective of, well, that's going to make that win over John Moxley that much bigger now that he's tasted the defeat. Yeah. And now you, you gain the sympathy with the fans who had clearly bought in on Orange Cassidy. So even in loss, I, I think Dynamite was a great indicator of him taking that step forward. I mean, how often have we really seen him in situations where he's, you know, in the ring cutting a promo like that? You know, he's normally opening the show with a match. So I think the natural character progression of Orange Cassidy uh, has has felt very organic, a lot like Oranges themselves. So I, uh, I, I, I love the opening segment personally. Yeah, and I do think that the reaction to Orange retaining the regaining the title would be better, be a bigger reaction than if he would have beat John Moxley. As you say, the fact that he kind of face can face him again and he can overcome his biggest challenge, the one that he lost to, the one he lost the title to, with the international title meaning so much to him. Uh, I think that is pretty smart booking, actually, if that's the way they go. Um, this match wasn't uh, you know, a particularly long match. Uh, Moxley picked up the win with a death rider. Um 
following the the match, Darby Allen hit the ring, um, and Christian Cage and Luchasaurus approached Nick Wayne backstage. Obviously, they're conti- they're continuing this angle with Luchasaurus and Darby, and obviously involving Nick Wayne. Parker, I'm absolutely loving Christian's work at the minute. Um, what did you make of his appearance this week? We saw him a bit later on in the episode as well. Um, but what did you think of his contribution to Dynamite this week? Contributions from Christian. I mean, business is booming, right? He almost seems rejuvenated ever since the TNT titles went on Luchasaurus. And this is one of the rare instances in AEW's four-year you know, time being around that they've kind of aligned a veteran talent with a younger guy, and it's kind of worked out in the favor of the talent in Luchasaurus. So, I mean, yeah, we got a great showcase of athleticism and in-ring ability from Luchasaurus at All Out, and Christian's obviously carrying the weight being the championship and the character work. And I think getting Nick Wayne involved is good. It, it builds some depth to Nick Wayne's character. You know, Christian's obviously the dead parent meme at this point, and the crowd's loving it. They're eating it up. Yeah. And uh, I, I think they're getting a lot of mileage out of Christian Cage right now, and I think it's only going to get better once Adam Copeland does inevitably come to the company. And each week as I tune in, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly very intrigued to see, you know, what's the next wrinkle in this. And you can definitely see a possible Nick Wayne and Christian Cage alignment somewhere down the line, at least if, if you know, past AEW storytelling has ever been indicative of that. But, you know, I thought the opening contest was interesting because Arrow Fox is a guy who did make the trip to Wembley. We talked about them packing all that booking in to a very short stint of time. Then he comes out and loses an international championship open challenge. Now, obviously, you know, it, it wasn't all in vain. Arrow Fox is a great performer, but it makes you wonder what the plans for Arrow Fox would have been had he made that trip to Wembley and had he been, you know, an affiliate or part of the mogul embassy. So I don't know. That was interesting to me to kind of put him in that position and have him lose pretty, pretty easily to John Moxley as well. I, I kind of expected some story beats there, but we didn't get them, but we're definitely getting him out of Christian cage and uh, he's doing a superb job with the hand he's being dealt. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed in, in what's happened with AR Fox, to be honest. I really liked him as, uh, alongside uh, uh, Swerve Strickland. I thought that was a, a good fit and we were starting to get to know AR Fox a little bit. So he seems to have gone down a peg or two for whatever reason. Um, but as you say, a phenomenal competitor and a pretty good match. But I don't think the outcome was ever in doubt. And that is my criticism of, of Dynamite at times. We don't always get the matches that, you know, we, we got some this week. We got some matches that were unpredictable or a little bit more unpredictable than this. Um, but I'd like to see more of that. Um, talking about matches that the, the winner wasn't really in any doubt. We had Chris Statlander up next, defending her TBS title in an open challenge up against Amy Sakura. Um, she picked up the... It was, a, it was a decent match, and there was quite a lot of urgency shown by Amy Sakura. She's a hell of a performer. Uh, she's responsible as well for training a lot of Japanese wrestlers, and I'm sure she's helped out a lot of the female wrestlers backstage at AEW. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that this was our only real women's contribution in terms of matches we had a tony storm segment which was great always is and i'm sure kind of you enjoyed that but what did you think of this parker and uh did you find it a little bit lacking in terms of you know what we've been talking about in terms of the women's storylines well before the dynamite card was or right after the dynamite card was formally announced i saw kind of a narrative online stating that oh well this is you know this looks like an old dynamite. And I'm like, yeah, that that's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Mainly because you're going to have a lot of uh, matchups that while on paper, I'm sure they're great from an in-ring tell, uh, story perspective. A lot of them kind of lack narrative, you know, yeah. you can make that 
argument certainly for John Moxley so far. You can make that for the AR Fox so far. And you can certainly make it for uh, Emmy Sakura and you know Chris Statlander. Not not detracting from how great of a performer Chris Stat- yeah. excuse me, Emmy Sakura is. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this just felt like another rudiment rudimentary, you know, title defense for Chris Statlander. And, you know, they I I don't know. I I just think that they're in a position right now where they've got momentum with the women's division, and we'll get to the Tony Thorne segment, but you know, you want to keep that momentum going and you want to make Chris Statlander feel just as important as Orange does. But at the same time, I play devil's advocate. They could be following the same formula as Orange, you know, title defense after title defense after title defense, build that appeal with the audience. So kind of a wait and see thing, but this was a very easy thing to forget and a lot like you turning in the wrong direction. Yeah, I, I just can't help but to think that there's too many title matches at times on free TV. And, and you know, it was a good match. But the, the outcome was never in any doubt in either of the opening two matches. Whereas if they were if they were non-title matches, there's a little bit more intrigue. You know, the, the champion slips on a banana skin and, you know, loses to a quick roll-up and then there's a championship match the following week. Um, and there's a bit more intrigue then because the challenger has beaten the champion. So I think at times they should do a little bit more of that. I'm not really advocating for loads of rematches every week. Um, but yeah, when the outcome is so obvious... I don't know how much it achieves other than that they get a spot on the card. Um, anyway, up next, um, it was a backstage video with uh, with the Kingdom and Roderick Strong. Um, Roderick was kind of uh, talking about his childhood, his tough upbringing, and the fact that he he was always he, he was always on his own. Again, playing into the Adams Cole story. Uh, Parker, what did you make of this? And are you still enjoying Roderick Cole's involvement? in the MJF and Adam Cole storyline. I found this kind of confusing, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, the weird Wardlow type of, you know, humanize me, this is my background. And then you obviously have the two goons present for it as well. I thought yeah. the render of him with the neck brace was probably the funniest thing about the whole thing. And uh, I don't know, it's it's a weird balance where they have right now between comedy and seriousness. So like, I don't know whether they're trying to be satirical with some of this stuff at moments. And we'll probably get into it when we talk about the match later with like, you know, the entire neck brace thing. It's just yeah. kind of confusing. And I came out of this segment not really knowing what they were aiming to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah. From a narrative standpoint. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, to be honest. I think it was I thought it was a little bit needless. It didn't really add much, in my opinion. Um but up next, there was a tag match, and this was a really good match, I thought. I thought this was one of Jericho's strongest matches in a while. Um, he's had some good matches of late. I've really got to give it to him. Uh, and I thought he performed really well in this match uh, alongside Sammy Guevara as the Sex Gods. Uh, and they picked up a win over Ozzy Open. Uh, this was a great match. There was a lot of miscommunication as well between Sammy and Jericho. So that's teasing, uh, you know, a split with them. And there was a bit of shoving at the end. Um, Don Callis' involvement, though. Um, so, do you think that ultimately Sammy Guevara aligns with Don Callis, or is that a bit of a misdirect? Uh, and what did you think of the match in general? You know, I want to believe that this goes into a direction where Sammy Guevara is elevated to that next level a lot, like a guy like Orange Cassie was from facing Moxley. But I'm I'm scared that we're not under those same set of circumstances because. Whether it goes with Callus or Jericho, you still have to give Sammy meaningful storylines and meaningful TV. And I, I would say if I had to bet, I would want it to be with Callus. I feel like there could, you know, obviously they want the Don Callis family to expand. You already talked about Konosuke Takeshita. Yeah. And, you know, well, I mean, excuse me, maybe you didn't, but we'll get to that. 
more moral of the story is the Don Callis family is going to expand. Yeah. And I think Sam Guevara would honestly be a pretty good addition to it. It would add to that, you know, apprehension towards Jericho and you know, all of it be really deep rooted. But at some point, Sammy does have to be his own man. And, you know, that's something that you're still kind of delaying the inevitable, I feel, if you align him with either or. Obviously, having him being the thing that kind of hangs in the middle is not much of a, a problem from a narrative standpoint in, in regards to, you know, hitting those story beats on TV every week, keeping Sammy on the forefront. But at the same time, you know, when is Sammy going to have that moment where he really is his own man and he's not aligned? Or in the background, nodding his head, doing his weird smiles, and looking kind of out of place. I mean, I, I yeah. hate to knock on Sammy so hard, but at the same time, like, you know, how many different factions can you align with before you can prove to them that you are a pillar and you can't hold up your own weight in this company and you don't need to follow, excuse me, you don't need to follow anybody around. So, yeah, I think we're leading, hopefully, to an inevitable singles contest between the two. Hope, it's at a paper- hope, hope it happens at a pay-per-view. Hope it gets plenty of time. And as far as this match is concerned, I love Aussie, 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 Oi, 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 or Open, whatever the hell their their theme song is. That shit's really catchy. But uh, I thought this match was fun and uh, obviously builds up the tension between the two. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go with the storyline moving forward. Yeah, on one hand, I'm disappointed that Aussie Open lost the game because they have picked up a few losses, particularly of late. Obviously, they lost the Ring of Honor titles at All In uh, on Zero Era. Um, but they have been positioned as stars and i don't think even in defeat they kind of lose any credibility i I think their performances week in week out are phenomenal uh and i'm sure they're they're still a young team and and i think they'll they'll have their day and i certainly think they'll be AEW tag team champions at some point down the road um up next following this we had the mjf promo and for me this was one of two of the best things on the on the on the whole card. We'll get to the second one. Uh, there was quite a bit of, of talking on this week's show, a lot of promo time. Um, but I think when you're coming off the back of two big pay-per-views, you have to do a little bit more of that to develop future stories uh, and to get us on the right path going towards the next pay-per-view, uh, which will be Wrestle Dream. Um, but I thought this segment was fantastic. MJF uh, was obviously interrupted by Samoa Joe. Uh, and they had an epic face-to-face. Zingas sent back and forth. MJF touched on the history of when he was in WWE or NXT with Samoa Joe. Joe pushed him, and, uh, you know, they they played on the fact that he pushed him again all out. Um, But they're going to have an incredible match. Um, It it, it was a pull-apart brawl. Adam Cole appeared and chased off Joe and... uh, MJF still selling a neck injury. Um, but Parker, what did you make of this segment? Um, are you looking forward to the potential MJF uh, Samoa Joe match as much as I am? Uh, what are your thoughts? Man, this is going to be excellent when this contest goes down. This is probably one of the, my biggest takeaways from this episode of Dynamite is that they're laying the groundwork for a program between these two. And yeah, with MJF being one of the, you know, the scolding baby faces that they do have, and Samoa Joe being lamented as, you know, that badass mega heel. Yeah. I feel like these two just, the the dynamic felt very natural. Yeah. You know, Joe's a grizzled veteran who's been around. He's also the champion of his own brand in Ring of Honor. So, you know, he felt obvious. It felt like they were kind of cashing in on the star power of Samoa Joe, which has been squandered in other places. As, you know, they both mentioned WWE NXT. 
you know, Joe mentioned he was a top guy on the other uh, TV channel or something along those lines, or, you know, he kind of mentioned it. Yeah. And uh, obviously they dealt, dived in the history of MJF being an extra. They even mentioned Ringle, Rig, Ringle, Regal, which I thought was yeah. really well done. I really like the execution of that. MJF really honing in with the whole he's our scumbag thing, you know, still having that, that snarkiness of a heel and having that delivery dropping nukes as he would probably say but still of course being that baby face and it felt very organic and these two flowed really well together and i'm very excited to see where they're going from a narrative standpoint with this as well we already know it's going to be fantastic in the ring between these two joe always brings in mjf's arguably one of the best professional wrestlers in the world right now i'm honestly very enticed by adam cole's involvement in this he, he gets down to the ring very late uh, after this beatdown, so I, I'll be very interested to see how all this stuff plays out as we get further. Excuse me, as we get closer and closer to Grand Slam. Yeah, obviously Adam Cole himself has got quite a history with Samoa Joe from their time together in NXT. Uh, what do you make of the the neck injury situation with MJF? Where do you think they're going with that? That's a really weird parallel. What do you think about it? Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really not sure. I mean, at the end of the segment, he was, he, he was shouting that he couldn't feel his arm, that his arm was numb. Um, it's obviously kayfabe and part of the storyline. Um, but I, I'm really unsure what they're doing. I know they're obviously building towards a match for MJF at Arthur Ashe. Um, you know, the, the winner of the tournament will face him. Um, we've got both Roderick Strong and Samoa Joe in the tournament. So it'd be interesting to see which way they go with that because, uh, you could make an argument for both of them, given the story so far. Uh, I don't suspect it's anything um, which will cost MJF his title. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued as it, as to how it will play out. Um, I mean, so for me, if there's anything that MJF's really dialed into, it's gaining the babyface sympathy from the crowd via things that are more traditional. Yeah, And, you know, I mean, you look at the Aussie Open thing. I think it was the opening match at All Out. I mean, you know, he worked the injury angle then, too, and the, the yeah. crowd reaction was monstrous. I think the big selling point for this match is if Joe hits a muscle buster, MJF's done. I mean, we're not talking like, you know, one, two, three, we're talking about forever. So, yeah, I think MJF, who's obviously got his eyes set on Hollywood, is very much dialing into the theatrics. I don't know if it's much deeper than that either but i could be wrong i could be wrong yeah we'll see how that um we'll see how that progresses we might see a bit more on collision this week hopefully um but up next was one of the the uh world title eliminator matches and it was roderick strong up against trent beretta um i thought this was a really good match very evenly matched um trent off the is coming off the back of a big win uh a few weeks ago uh against moxley and penta um, so this one, although we probably assumed Strong was going to win because of the story that's been told, I thought Trent Beretta really did um, put up a good fight and, and this was a great match. Um, obviously, Roderick Strong progresses now in the tournament. Um, I'm not sure he fa who he faces in the next round. I didn't see the bracket, but there's another two matches happening on Rampage. So by the end of this week, we should know who's going face-to-face um, -face. For an opportunity to face MJF at uh, Arthur Ash. Uh, following the match, uh, we were backstage again. Um, Renee Paquette was with, with Tony Storm. Um, I, I know you love this, Parker. I absolutely love this. Um, Tony Storm, absolutely fantastic character work. The way that you know she's she's performing, she's so theatrical. Um, she's really dialing into that Marilyn Monroe. 
um you know 1920 the throwing the warning of the throwing of the shoe is what really popped me yeah it was was like all right the shoe's coming that's really what geeked me out about it chin up tits out and watch out for the shoe i thought that was such a great great way to end the promo um what do you what do you make of tony storm where do you think this is all going i mean i feel like it has to go to a push at some point but I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you. If that's anything that this Dynamite taught me is that there's some storylines that they have progressing right now that I'm like, you know, I don't really know the end game here, but I'm completely okay with that. And yeah, are you interested? Are you intrigued with with what's going yes, on? Yes, yes, yes. And and yeah, to me, you know, it's like a good movie. Like, yeah, I feel like a really good movie. It, you're not going to know the ending off bat. You're not going to be able to see it coming from you know a mile away. So. I, and, you know, whether it be the the main event scene, Tony Storm, I, that's how I want my programming to be. I want to know what that next step is, the next beat, the next wrinkle. Yeah. And this was an interesting dynamite. And I'm not going to say all of it was extremely captivating, but I'm going to give him a chance to cook. You know, I'm going to I'm going to see how these things play out. And I think Tony Storm showed us up to this point that with this character that we don't really have a name for yet. But, you know, we know the archetype. Yeah, it's extremely entertaining. But, you know, the tournament's going to play out. You know, it'll be interesting to see once AEW gets some bigger acquisitions in the women's division. We definitely know Mercedes Money and Adam Copeland are two big signings that are probably upcoming and how Tony's going to tie into all this. But I feel like it's also a way to kind of keep her on the forefront of, of the AEW audience's brain yeah. and, you know, kind of build that identity. So when she does come for that title again, she's not just, you know, the workhorse champion. She's also a really solid character that they can fully invest in and by that time she'd be a three-time AEW women's champion she's already got the background with soraya who knows if she's with you with mercedes Monet. so if they're putting her on the back burner they're at least making it very entertaining good stuff yeah yeah i absolutely agree i, I think it could well end up with her in the ring with soraya we've got the mercedes Monet element you know she could be arriving in AEW any day you know it's a big surprise maybe Maybe she's saved for one of the big shows like Arthur Ashe or one of the pay-per-views. That'd make a lot of sense. And that's the way they normally do it. Um, but I'm exactly the same. You know, I'm a wrestling fan that does like to speculate on what where certain stories are going. That's part of the fun for me. Uh, wrestling fans get criticized a little bit for that because obviously if it doesn't pan out the way that you want it to uh, and you complain about it, um, then kind of we set ourselves up for a fall. Um, but I think part of the fun of watching wrestling is kind of predicting how things are going and what we make of it. And that's exactly what we like to do. The Adam the Cole and MJF match at Wembley was a great example of that. Yes. I would have never thought that's the direction they were going in, but they told an original story and I can't be mad at them for that. And I actually ended up enjoying it. So no harm, no foul. So just, and if you're in the resistance of that, just give them a chance to tell their story. They still have the pen in their hand. They still got plenty of papers. So I may yeah. not know where they're going with some of it, but I certainly know that they are going to have the opportunity to at least convey it at some point what they're trying to do. So, Yeah, and more often than not with AEW, and that uh, uh, all-in was a great example. It was actually better than what a lot of people had predicted for me. It, it, it was more enjoyable. I was happy with the outcome than the one that Same I with predicted. All Out. Yeah, yeah. Same with All Out. So, yeah. I mean, it's... It, AEW doesn't, in my opinion, make promises they can't keep or 
under deliver on storylines often. So I yeah. they've afforded the benefit of the doubt in my mind. Yeah. Well, up next, uh, and prior to the main event, we had a, a segment with Hangman Adam Page. For me, this was probably my favorite part of the show. Um, I'm a really big Hangman Page fan, uh, and he hasn't really done a great deal in the last few months. You know, um, but he did win um, uh, the Battle Royal uh, on the pre-show for All Out, and he was in the ring with Tony Schiavone talking about that and talking about the charity donation that he made off the back of winning it. Uh, and then Swerve Strickland came out, and Swerve Strickland kind of annihilated Hangman Page on the mic. Uh, he called him out on a lot of things, and some of it was a little bit much uh, on, his, on his perceived weight gain um, and the fact that he kind of rides the, the elite coattails uh, and he's kind of in the background and he's happy just coasting. Uh, Parker, I thought this was sensitive. As soon as he came out, I was like, yep, yeah, this, is, this is the match that I want to see, Hangman and Swerve. Um, but yeah, when they got on the microphone, particularly Swerve Strickland, he just showed why he's the star that we've always known that he is, and he's going to be such a main event star for AW in the future. It's hilarious because I remember when, you know, he first joined Ollie Wrestling and you had Hit Row over in WWE forming the quote unquote OG3 and, you know, making it look as if he was an afterthought, but in reality, all he's shown in AEW with a very limited hand is that he was the star out of that entire group yeah. of individuals. And, you know, he's certainly been on the back burner. A lot of people could argue and advocate that he should have been the guy to beat Orange Cassidy for the international title. Yeah. Clearly, there were plans for him because he is now feuding with a former AEW World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. So, obviously, they have plans for Swerve Strickland. I just hope, because I think he's lost, what, 18 out of his last 20-something contests. So, I mean, you got to start getting in the winning column if you are a Swerve Strickland, if you do want the audience to take you seriously. But if they're taking you strictly at your word, man, did he absolutely dish it to Hangman Adam Page. And it's funny and it's interesting because a lot of it was, you know, you talk about him going to uncomfortable depths. You know, some of the stuff he was mentioning are things that people speculate, are things that people talk about. Yeah. And it's that, you know, laced with reality and, you know, taking a dig at at, at his appearance, you know, Swerve's definitely gotten in, in, in better physical shape for yeah. sure. He's he's put on a pretty significant amount of muscle. And, you know, the entire thesis of this was I want your spot and I'm I'm better for it. I'm better equipped. I prepare better. I, I talk better. I'm just better than you. And if you weren't one of the boys, guess what? You wouldn't even be in the spot you're in. So go teach yeah. those bunch of delinquent kids and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was it was super villain stuff by Swerve. And with that being said, it was probably my segment of the night as well. Yeah, a lot of people are going to love the Joe and MJF stuff. But Swerve is finally turning into the person we all knew the performer he was, you know, capable of being and i just love this and this honestly isn't a feud i ever thought i'd wanted but as soon as he interrupted hangman man i this this is going to yeah. be probably my my storyline to watch on aw program for the foreseeable future my reaction was exactly the same and i think when they use stories that are laced with truth i mean he said that hangman was one of the cornerstones of the company to begin with uh and he's questioning whether he's lost his fire no, Hangman hasn't featured as much you know, compared to the early days. You know, he really hasn't as of late. 
So that's all truthful in what he's saying. Um, and then to to factor in as well the history with Brian Cage and Hangman, they were obviously they've obviously had matches before. Um, they were involved in a feud a couple of years ago, which culminated in a match at a pay-per-view. Um, they were the last two in the the battle royal. Uh, and obviously he attacks Paige here and gives him a power bomb. Um, so there's a lot of consistency there as well, you know, involving um, the Mogul Embassy involving Brian Cage. And if this is going to set up a match with uh, Swerve and Hangman, which I'm sure it will, then that's going to steal whatever show that it's on for me, Parker. Could not be any more excited. Yeah, yeah, cool. For that matchup in general. Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome, and I, you know, there's there's. I hope they don't rush it. I hope they tell a really good story, and I'm sure they will. It started off perfectly, um, and as you say, the MJF Joe stuff was f- phenomenal, really good. Uh, in terms of rating the segments, they were both A segments or A star segments, you know. Uh, but just for me, just because I'm such a big Swerve fan, and I've wanted him to kind of reach that that. And top we expect level. that. Yeah, we expect that from MJF and Samoa yeah. Joe. I mean. They're both guys that have dipped in the Hollywood pool. The reason the Swerve stuff and the Hangman stuff kind of supersedes it is because you see a guy who's really had nothing to do in Hangman Adam Page, and then you see a guy like Swerve who is poised for just an enormous push. It's just great utilization of two young talents who are now in a crash course towards each other. And yeah, this is going to do nothing but benefit both of them. And and if they do, if they play their cards right, like you said, and, and don't rush it. It could be the A storyline on Dynamite. It's certainly the A storyline in, in regards to my attention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in terms of the main event for, on Dynamite this week, we had Darby Allen up against his protege, Nick Wayne, uh, again in the World Title Eliminator Tournament, quarterfinal match. So uh, the winner, in this case, Darby Allen, has now progressed to the, se- the semifinals. And I see, presume he's up against Roderick Strong. Uh, I haven't seen the brackets, but I think that will be the case thinking about it. Um, this match was was interesting because obviously, um, since Nick Wayne's been brought in, we've we know we've known we've been made aware of the history with Derby. Uh, he's kind of what trained. did you think of the finish? Yeah, I thought it, it wasn't the finish that I was expecting because it, essentially it was referee stoppage and Derby was putting the boots to him. So yeah, I certainly didn't expect that, and I think that perhaps does play into the the bigger story of the dissension between Nick Wayne who towards Derby for forgiving AR Fox so quickly and so easily after he wiped out Nick Wayne and, you know, did a deplorable thing at, at his own property. You know, he took him out in his own wrestling ring. He busted him open with glass from a picture frame that had a picture of him and his dad in. And he left the picture on the place where Nick was sitting when he found out the news that his dad had passed. I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy stuff. So you can totally understand why Nick Wayne would be uh, annoyed with Derby at, at the very least. And the way this match finished, that gives Nick Wayne more food for thought. Uh, and given the fact that Christian and Luchasaurus were at the commentary table for this match, does lead me to believe, as you predicted earlier, that we do get Nick Wayne aligning himself with Christian. Uh, and I think that would be a great move. I mean, 18-year-old Nick Wayne, already a phenomenal performer, to have the ability or the the option to work with Christian on his character, um, you know, sit under the learning tree, uh, I think that would be a very shrewd thing to do. Uh, what are your thoughts, bud? Yeah, I mean, hopefully he comes out of it a lot better than Jack Perry did, and I think that he will. I mean, clearly yeah. AEW is investing 
heavily in Nick Wayne. You know, he got his first televised match against I want to say Swerve Strickland of all people, and yeah, uh, they have that they have that storied history circuiting back to the independence. And I just think being around Christian, sinking it all in, finding his own character. You know, it, it not only adds to Christian's status in AW, who's obviously he just resigned, huge resigning for them. Yeah, I, I, this does nothing but help Nick Wayne. And you know, now that you say that, you're right. It does just add to the brutality of sort of the the tension mounting between him and and Darby. I guess live is the main event of a show. You know, you don't really go for finishes like that, or most people are kind of underwhelmed by finishes like that, but. I think it's all just a part to play in the overarching story that they are trying to tell. But I think yeah. what you see from Nick Wayne is really promising. Obviously, he still has a lot of work left to do in regards to what he does in front of the camera. But what he does in the ring is great. Darby taking some brutal, I mean, brutal bumps in this match as per usual. That Tope Suicino yeah. where he just slammed on the floor was just, oh, yeah, just grotesque stuff. But you know, and I, I, you know, honestly, as much as I'm condemning it and in, in retrospect, I kind of like that they didn't go with the, you know, safe, you know, baby face versus baby face. You know, I mean, this could have easily been a situation where Darby could have just got a clean win over Nick and they just kept it moving. But yeah. they didn't do that. And, you know, like I said, they're cooking. They're in the kitchen. You know, let let them maybe they're in the third inning, the fourth inning. Hell, they could be in the eighth or ninth inning for all we know. But I at least know they're trying to tell a story here. And uh, I just hope. Nick Wayne is a big benefactor of it in general. Yeah, uh, I'm exactly the same. I really hope he will be. Um, I thought this week's Dynamite was a really good show. Uh, it wasn't perfect by any means. There was some stuff that I'd have liked uh, done slightly differently. Certainly the the women's match, the lack of story there. I know it's an open challenge, um, but I think they're capable of doing more with this women's division, and I'll keep going on about it until they do. Um, but Parker, I thought this was an eight out of ten show for me. Well, what would how would you rate it? I really like that you said that stuff about the women because I've always said we can complain, we can complain, we can complain, but until we make it an issue, it's not going to be an issue. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of that as well. Based off the bat, okay. So when I'm ranking these shows, I think about the flow of them. I think about the cohesiveness. Yeah, I think about the star power. I thought the main event was a little underwhelming. I don't. I didn't think that Nick Wayne needed to be in that slot. Yeah. And I think that you could have told the story earlier in the night. But there really was no other match to substitute in that instance, so I'll give it a pass. Based off the backs of just those two phenomenal segments with MJF, Samoa Joe, and then, like we said, with Hangman and Swerve setting up a program that we didn't even know we were getting, I'm going to give this show an 8 out of 10 as well. I mean, we're in the post-punk era. This obviously wasn't the punk show prior but still, a lot of negative press for AW lately, and I think they went out and they gave a really solid dynamite that, you know, did what all I asked them to do or all I ask any wrestling company to do on weekly television, and that's give me a reason to watch and progress the storyline. So, in that right, I give it an eight out of ten. I thought it was a solid dynamite. Cool. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to collision at the weekend, and and Parker probably be me and you reviewing it again on Sunday. Uh, so we'll see how how AW developed the tournament this week. Obviously, two more matches on Rampage. Um, but I think things are looking up after some pretty disappointing news, some two great pay-per-views, two great shows, but some disappointing stuff going on backstage and obviously the fire in a punk. Um, I think this kind of was a bit of a reset and uh, I'm certainly looking forward to to where some of these stories go, particularly Swerve Strickland and Hangman Page. Um, but that about wraps it up, us up for this week. Parker, thanks so much for joining me. 
Uh, we must bid you adieu, buckle down, and stay safe. Bang. Hey, everybody. Thank you for checking out the Hit in the Turnbuckle podcast. Make sure you go and check us out on all social media. Twitter, you can find us at HTT Buckle. Facebook, just search the Hit in the Turnbuckle podcast. <laughs>